0: Hello to you, Dennis. Uh, folk medicine. Mm. Now, I'm always one for folk things, so folk <laughs> medicine is definitely part of that too. Now, uh, the, uh, many of these therapies have been around for a very long time and mm. do have proven benefits. Mm. And you have spoken about that previously, but you'd like to concentrate oh, look, on like, a couple?
1: I would. I'd like to take it up again because there was such a lot of interest generated around the concept that the medicine of the people for centuries, these days, has been justified by clinical use and science. I'd like to take it up again.
0: Health naturally. Uh, Dennis, we are going to talk about folk mm, medicine, but mm. what actually do you mean by folk medicine? Okay.
1: Look, folk medicine is really, um, I see it as being the, the medicine of the people. That is, uh, remedies that have emerged from the people's experiments and the people's usage over many, many, many years. And as a result of that, folk medicine has become the basis of many traditional systems of medicine. And moreover, folk medicine has frequently become the basis for some modern pharmaceuticals. For instance, listeners might be uh, interested to know that one of the most important, one of the most important drugs in modern medicine, going under different names is based on what we call the foxglove. Now, the foxglove is a a garden plant.
0: And very pretty. It
1: is indeed. My my dear wife grows it. But uh, foxglove was being used many, many years ago in about the, ooh, around about the 18th century. It was being popularly used in various parts of the United Kingdom and there was a, a Dr William Withering, whose name has gone down in medical history, He took note of the fact that in Shropshire it was popularly used for what was then called the treatment of dropsy, a lot of fluid retention uh, frequently associated with with heart disease. He didn't laugh it off. He was like many doctors throughout the ages, realised that frequently a medicine is discovered by a people and they need to know about it. So he went down there and found out that these people were in fact brewing up the leaves of foxglove, botanically known as digitalis. So many pharmacists or doctors out there would immediately uh, think of drugs that contain uh, digoxin and other constituents, which we know now to form the basis of foxglove. Now, he took on board the usage of this herb and began to experiment with it in his own practice, and found sure enough this folk medicine being used popularly in places like Shropshire did work and it wasn't strictly a diuretic although getting rid of fluid was part of the the uh, the herb's benefit but it was associated with what we call today congestive cardiac failure. So here was a folk medicine this is fascinating and very important and puts paid to the theory that folk medicine is only nonsense. You still get people that are so right-wing that they have this view that anything that isn't strictly discovered by the Western scientifically or biochemically explained is useless. Well, here is a folk medicine that changed the management of a deadly heart disease, congestive cardiac failure. It is still being used today in in various pharmaceutical forms. There would be people in this town who would be using a pharmaceutical-based on the folk medicine that was discovered by William Withering in Shropshire. Now, it is but the example of the way in which the remedies of the people being taken up, being seen to be workable, have influenced the, the transit of medicine, have influenced modern medicine, and many of these folk remedies have crept into the various pharmacopeias. And even in our in our culture, uh, there are simple folk remedies that I heard of when I, when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, for instance, in, 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 in the Newcastle area, in the coal fields, um, the herb parsley was popularly used by elderly men to treat aspects of, of uh, prostate disease. Really? And oh, very mm. much so. And it was always seen as something that was taken uh, by Sprig or and was always grown around the household. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it's interesting to see that still there's a tradition of growing the herb parsley around the household and close to the kitchen. Because not only is it a a, a medicinal herb, it's also a culinary herb. But parsley was an excellent example of a folk medicine being used particularly by working class people, working class men, to treat something like various aspects of prostate gland problems, but equally importantly, to be used As a general remedy, a lay remedy, a folk remedy, to build up some prevention against the onset of kidney stones. And if we look at the modern literature on parsley today, you will find in texts such as the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia and other credible references that parsley is not just something to be uh, laughed at or taken, if you like, with a bit of a smoke. Parsley is a potent medicinal substance which if taken regularly and prophylactically has been called up as being useful in working against those conditions that some people experience, recurrent or recurring kidney stones. Uh, The literature puts forward the the view and the clinical experience that parsley used regularly, prophylactically, can be of use in lessening the incidence of this wretched recurrence that some people suffer from. So there's a good example of one of the most popular, uh, one of the most common herbs uh, finding its way into folk medicine, probably brought from its traditional use in the UK when the first settlers arrived here, taken up by what a lot of working class men who would have come from working-class areas in the UK, particularly miners and and those sorts of people, brought that tradition with them. I knew of it when I visited my relatives in Stamford, Metheringham, and and Curry Curry. It was well known then that parsley was uh, granddad's remedy. I didn't know what it was used for, but I do understand now why it would have been used. That's so there is that one example, of of the benefit of parsley. Now I know there were listeners who were interested in uh, my comments uh, weeks ago about parsley, and I spoke about a simple way of using it. The simplest way of using it, of course, is to get a, fr- a fresh bunch of, of parsley and-, and convert it into what we call an infusion. Now, an infusion is where you just take the fresh herb, uh, a-, a big handful of it if you like, uh, pour it into or put it into a pot, put with uh, with water, boil it up, straight off the liquid and drink small amounts of it over a day or two and continue doing that. There are more technical ways of using it, of course. One can use the dried herb, and one can purchase that from a health food store or even the supermarket. And with the dried herb, one simply takes a teaspoonful of parsley, puts it in a cup, pours on boiling water, just like you're making a cup of coffee, and have two to three cups of that a day. It's not an unpleasant tea. And if I were in a problem where um, there was urinary tract problems, recurrent infections, uh, prostate things emerging, it's one of the herbs that I would be considering using regularly, prophylactically, and very safely.
0: That's interesting, Dennis. Well, it uh, is interesting because yeah. again,
1: when you say parsley, think uh, people think, oh yes, well, uh, come, come on, parsley, parsley. Look, like
0: like Ogden Nash, parsley is ghastly. <laughs>
1: Okay, But,
0: in fact, it's there for a reason. Oh, look, I
1: I checked up uh, the last time I spoke about parsley and it was called up in multiple ways. I've spoken about its use in what we call uh, prophylaxis against uh, what's called calculi, uh, but really uh, kidney stones. But it's more than that. Uh, It is a useful device also to work with other herbs in building up resistance to urinary tract infections. We say a lot about urinary tract infections on this program because it is a very, very common condition. And in my opinion, in my opinion, the the herbal management of UTIs, as they're called, is very, very competitive with some mainstream approaches. Mm. Now, one of those herbs is parsley.
0: This is Health Naturally on 2NURFM. Daryl has given us a call. Daryl, you've got a question about some of the things that Dennis is talking about.
2: Yeah, hi. Um, Dennis, you used the word prophylactically and then prophylaxis. Now, that's nothing like I understand the word to mean. Can you sort of tell us in on what you're talking about?
1: Prophylactically means preventative. In other words, you you can take something, if if you're getting, say, things like recurring uh, kidney stones, what what would be useful would be to see parsley as a remedy that could have prophylactic benefits, that is, preventative benefits. Um, So, uh, using parsley would be seen as a prophylactic possibility, a remedy that could be used to stop the development or the recurrence of a program.
2: Okay, fits in with, with what I understand the word to mean. Yep, but, well, yeah,
1: but... yep. pro, pro, prophylaxis, prophylaxis is the noun uh, or prophylactic is the adjective, but they both oh, right. refer to using something and it applies also to mainstream medicine. You can take uh, uh, medication from your doctor, which has a prophylactic effect, and you can use herbs, simple herbs with potential prophylaxis against various conditions. Parsley, I'm putting forward, is an underrated and underestimated simple folk medicine that was known very, very well uh, to be beneficial to the kidney, to the urinary tract and for the prostate. And uh, I think today uh, it's a time to look at some of these folk remedies and see that they do have clinical usage and we should perhaps reconsider them.
2: Okay, so if you made that infusion, how much would you drink like a day? You said said you'd drink it over a couple of
1: days. Okay. In fact, what I have here is is, uh, just a a brief recipe, if you like, from one of my texts about making up parsley tea. And I'll go slowly so that you can uh, perhaps note it and other listeners might note it. And this is based on uh, the fresh herb. uh, And it basically says this, take a fresh bunch a fresh bunch of parsley put it in a saucepan and add 2 pints of water and you bring it to the boil and you simmer it not for very long about 10 minutes okay right then you you uh, stand and let it cool and then okay. you strain it and you drink 2 to 3 cups of that a day okay And and for a general maintenance, uh, when there are no symptoms, the recommendation is that you take just one cup of that simple infusion of what's called parsley tea, a fresh bunch, say a handful, what you buy from the supermarket or what you pull out of the garden, a decent handful of it, uh, throw it into a pot or a saucepan, pour on what we refer to as two pints of water, bring it to the boil, simmer it for about 10 minutes no more than that otherwise you'll drive off a lot of the actives once you've once you've done that let it stand until it's cool and from that preparation you drink say about three cups daily if you have symptoms but if there are no symptoms well a cup a day okay then thank you
2: for that
1: yeah, pretty and, simple stuff.
0: And that's great, Daryl. Thank you for ringing in with that question. A lot of the things you talk about, Dennis, are, in fact, uh, you recommend that they be used prophylactically too. Absolutely. In so fact, that's In fact, I think
1: this is one area that needs to be emphasised. This in no way at all is uh, bypassing the benefits of mainstream medicine, but what we're talking about frequently in this program of doing things ourselves that might lessen our need to resort to medical or pharmaceutical treatments.
0: Yes, and mm. parsley. Yes, yeah, so you've talked about parsley tea. Yes. Is it also useful if you chop up parsley and put of it course, on salads of course, of or course. sauces? Or it,
1: it doesn't really matter. doesn't The, matter the, how. the only thing would be um, if you're going to use parsley therapeutically, So you're a listener out there who uh, is impressed with the potential of parsley, uh, putting it on or chopping it up uh, and putting it on your food, good as that might be, but it would be a fairly occasional episode, wouldn't it? Well, that's true. So if, if you're, a, if you're a, a chap who's wanting to improve his, his urinary stream and he want, he's battling against a bit of prostate enlargement, to get any benefit from parsley, you'd have to be a regular user of, say, parsley tea or parsley extract. Keep in mind that professional practitioners, pharmacists and herbalists, etc., use parsley in what's called a liquid extract form. That is where the herb has been, uh, if you like, pharmaceutically extracted and converted into a particular strength. But here we're talking about folk medicine, the medicine of the people, things that people can do and things that have been done for a long time. Keep in mind, this was a much more popular remedy uh, decades ago, particularly amongst working class people.
0: Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. Sue has rung in from Rayworth. Sue, you've got a question about vertigo.
1: Yes,
3: I do. Um, Good afternoon, Dennis. Hello, Sue. Look, I had an experience with vertigo
0: um, a few weeks ago and I never Mm. ever wish to have it back again. Is there anything that Mm. I can take to prevent it or do I just have to wear it
3: and
1: hopefully
0: Uh, hopefully it doesn't come
1: back? First of all, Sue, uh, you have seen your doctor about it?
3: Yes, I've had brain scans, okay. I've had all the tests.
1: Good, good, good. I think that's important because uh, vertigo can be associated with uh, some conditions uh, that really require medical treatment. But yes. many states of vertigo, uh, characterised by what you might call dizziness and sometimes nausea, feeling of being off balance, uh, that is a very common condition yes. uh, that doesn't seem to be related to any serious Uh, pathological um, factors but fortunately when you get a vertigo that has been ruled out as being related to any serious condition there are a couple of remedies which over my many years of of experience I have had good results with. Now let me just say what I'm going to say now uh, means that these herbs have been documented to be useful but as in all situations of medicine what may work for one person may not work for another. But the good thing about this is there is documentation and there are some clinical records that I've kept pertaining to the two herbs that are very safely used. Yep. The first one is a herb that I occasionally mention on the program and it's a European herb called wood betony. Wood W W O D Betony, B-E-T-O-N-Y, wood yes. betony, botanically known as Betonica, B-E-T-O-N-I-C-A. Now,
3: Hang on, I've, I've got the wood betony. But yeah, well, that's,
1: that's good enough. Betonica, B-E-T-O-N-I-C-A, is its yes. botanical uh, name. When we talk about a botanical name, uh, in simple language, is what you might say, it's the Latin name. Herbs have two names, their common name and their botanical name. The botanical name is the name that is used universally, whereas frequently a herb can have a number of common names. But uh, in in the English tradition of herbalism, um, wood betony is defined in the British herbal pharmacopeia. Now, why do I mention the British herbal pharmacopeia? Because, as I've said on the program before, it has become, since 1983, one of the major authoritative texts in modern herbal medicine with an editorial panel comprised of doctors, pharmacognosists, pharmacologists and medical herbalists. Now in that text Woodbetney is defined amongst other things as being useful for vertigo and it's one of the first things that I would use. You would probably have to uh, procure it uh, from a medical herbalist. Um, you have one in Cessnock in Cumberland Street, There'd be a dispensary there, Uh, I think Bowen stock it in in Cessnock, a liquid extract of it, and uh, it's not expensive and very, very safe and a low dose. The thing about it is, again, like many herbs, it would take a little while, don't expect uh, an overnight benefit. Herbs are slow in achieving their benefits, but I would give it a a run for a month and then have it in your medicine chest, so to speak. so that if if you take it
3: as a preventative... Okay.
1: Okay if if you were getting this condition ongoingly certainly take it as a preventative that would be my opinion but in as much that this has just been something that has come out of the blue is that right in your case yes. come out of the blue uh, it may not never occur uh, it may not occur again so what I'm I'm retracting here a little bit and saying in your situation I'd have it on guard thank you and and use it if you start to feel those early symptoms where you say, hang on, uh, it's coming again, go for the wood betony and take it in the dosage that would be on the dispensed medication. Now, the other thing is, and this is more relevant to people that are chronic sufferers of vertigo, The um, how can I call it? The modern European preparation of the Asian herb, ginkgo biloba. Okay. You've probably heard me talk about ginkgo biloba. It is... One of the big advancements, in my opinion, in herbal medicine since the Second World War, mainly as a result of the German work uh, with the herb, uh, the Germans extracted the active chemistry from the, 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 the tree, the beautiful tree that it is. We should grow more of them around here. They grow beautifully. But they extracted from the leaf of the, uh, of the ginkgo biloba a particular extract uh, which has made its reputation as being useful amongst other things for addressing uh, vertigo states particularly where there may be some compromise in the patient's circulation but that's probably not uh, in your case you're you're not in that ballpark
3: look I had tests at heart that's yeah, blood that's behind. right but it's
1: it's useful to know for listeners who may be chronic vertigo sufferers, and not doing well on mainstream medication, that there may be some benefit in using um, the, the ginkgo. Uh, that would be the
3: same as a wood betony. You just, if you feel that it's coming on, then you... That's
1: what I would do. I'd have wood betony on hand as an acute remedy. If it were happening ongoingly, I would take a, a wood betony ongoingly preventatively but ginkgo biloba would be something that would be for a chronic condition where one would take it ongoingly.
3: Okay. Well, thank you so much, Dennis. That's much
1: appreciated. Thank you, sir.
0: That is great, sir. Kevin has rung in from Warners Bay. Hello, Kevin. Now, you've got a question about arthritis and rose hips.
1: Yes, uh, Good afternoon, Dan. Hello, Dan. Kevin. Thank you for my call. Thank you. Uh, Firstly, let me say,
2: I spoke to you many, many years ago, yes. and you put me onto a product called Astragalus 8, oh, yes. buy yes. uh, yes. yes. uh, I regularly from your New office, and I would have to be the greatest supporter of the product. Uh, it's uh, I had I had a lot of cold symptoms years and years ago, and to be honest, I don't think I've had a cold or a flu since I've been on the Astragalus 8 for about... Five or six years, so it's a great product. I know. And it's the re- reason for my call today. I've got a little bit of arthritis in my shoulder yes. and my neck, the doctor yes. has told me. And yes. a number of people have suggested that I try a, a herbal or, or a plant product called rosehip. Okay. And I just wanted yeah. to know if you know anything about that product.
1: Well, rose hips, is a fair, it's a fairly common uh, thing. It's essentially the, 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 the seed of the rose. And um, it is very rich in vitamin C and contains a number of bioflavonoids. Now most most bioflavonoids have some mild ability to address inflammatory activity as may be in very mild arthritis. It's not a herb that uh, is number one in my list. The good thing about it is it's safe. It has some degree of, of uh, credibility out there. People vouch for it. But if I were in your situation, I think I'd be moving uh, initially, uh, and this is in no way at all retracting from the great potential in rosehip, but I think I'd be moving a little bit more towards the the, the glucosamine and chondroitin approach, which um, has very, very good, uh, in in my opinion anyway, evidence behind its benefits, particularly in the early stage of what seems to be an osteoarthritic development in your case. So... um, I would be using that um, that approach before I used anything else.
2: So Dennis how do I how do I get onto that product through you and your your the
1: yeah. store? Yeah look any of the you're at Warner's Bay Warner's yeah. Bay Warner's Bay would stock the uh, the product that I recommend. They would know what I'm talking about. So
2: what was the name of the product again
1: sorry? If you just go in and say look Dennis spoke about uh, a product that contains glucosamine and chondroitin he said you would know about it.
2: Okay, all right. I no, appreciate that. and uh, Thanks for very much for your help and love listening to your show of a Friday afternoon.
1: Thank you, Kevin. To in your
0: RFM's health naturally. And, uh, Dennis, we have a call. Peter has rung in from Lemon Tree Passage. Peter, it's a problem that many people do suffer from, constipation, yes?
2: Yeah, Dennis, uh, I have cancer. I yes. had chemotherapy two months ago. Yes. I've been constipated ever since... I'm going for surgery yes. on the 9th of May. Yes. And I'll be removing some intestine to create an air bladder.
1: Okay, yes, yes.
2: So I want to get it cleared up before then.
1: When are you going into hospital? 9th of May. Yeah, look, it's uh, very close to when you go into hospital. I think that anything that I recommended uh, would be perhaps... Um, I wonder whether it would be active enough before you went into hospital. What, let, me ask yeah. you, uh, let me ask you a few questions, Peter. Uh, have you discussed your problem with, with your doctor?
2: No. I discussed it with the doctor the other day, yeah. And a, very Movicol.
1: Movicol. Look, to be fair, Movicol has a really good reputation. Um, mm. uh, what, what I also suggest um, is useful and frequently underrated let me say, underrated, mm-hmm. a simple remedy, but very well documented. Now, I'm talking about olive oil. Now, I'm, mm-hmm. not, talking, I'm not talking about castor oil. I'm mm-hmm. talking about olive oil. Now, if you look at the technical literature with reference to olive oil, one of its uses is in addressing constipation, where the, mm-hmm. um, the extra virgin olive oil is taken in about a 30 ml dose Mm -hmm. Now, there's an explanation as to how that works. It works in some ways as what's called a lubricating cathartic, the oil working its way through the system, Mm -hmm. precipitates uh, easier bowel function. It's a food, so it's unlikely to complicate anything. And in my opinion, it could work uh, in conjunction with Movicol. That's my opinion. So I think rather than recommend anything more sophisticated than that, uh, work with what your doctor has said. That I've been preparation. taking
2: instead of the Mervicol,
1: though. Yes, big pardon. I've been taking Actol instead of the Mervicol. Uh I'm not quite grasping your. I've on been that. taking Actol instead of Mervicol. Okay. Mm. Uh, now, to, is your is your doctor up to speed with that? No, not really. Well, I think you should be working with your GP in this case, particularly seeing you have a medical procedure coming up mm. and uh, the use of. Olive oil might be useful in that context as well. Mm, Thanks, Peter. All the best. Uh,
0: Yes, all the very best with that. Lynn joins us now from Maryville. Lynn, uh, yes, you've got a question about hay fever, yes?
3: Yes. Uh, Look, for years I've had problems about twice a year and it goes on for about four months. (laughs) About eight months of the year, I'm troubled by in what's now been diagnosed as environmental hay fever. Okay. Um, and I had my sinuses operated years ago. Oh, yeah. um, but I suffer from a post drip. Yes. Uh, and it usually comes when there's a change of weather, particularly yes. if there's any wind around. Yes. And um, then I end up with a cough. Yes. That persists. Yes. I cannot. It's the cough that's more irritating than anything else. Yes. Um, I use... Uh, various a- antihistamines mm-hmm. um, and move them around because they seem to, there seems to be a tolerance that builds up, yes. and um, but it's the cough that's most um, irritating and debilitating really okay. um, that goes on for anywhere up to four months and then it just suddenly overnight disappears.
1: L- Lynn, um, is, is, is the cough productive?
3: No, oh, it's just a wet cough coming okay. from the post-nasal drip. It's okay. not not related to gourd or anything else. Okay. And that's been established, firstly. Okay. I, I saw good. a respiratory physician. I, haven't to, I don't have asthma or anything yeah. else.
1: Good, it's good.
3: It's just this environmental okay. thing. Well, um, I,
1: I always, uh, with, the, with this condition, I always think of the, the role of, of two substances which are usually yes. combined together for efficacy. Yes. And yes. Uh, that is... A bioflavonoid called quercetin, and it's usually Q U E R C E T I N quercetin, and it's always accompanied by bromelain. Uh, Bromelain is renowned for its benefits uh, in upper respiratory tract uh, catarrhal or inflammatory conditions, and, and quercetin has some powerful, progressive antihistamine benefits, even though it is a natural substance. It right. is it very, very safe and mm. taken uh, ongoingly uh, should yes. lessen the production of that, uh, of that uh, uh, problem, the upper respiratory tract thing. Yes, um, it just gets irritated
3: yeah, and then yeah. obviously inflamed and then persists.
2: Yeah. That's,
1: I, I, would start, yes. I would start off with that. With reference mm-hmm. to the cough condition, uh, there are a number of herbs that uh, looked at for white, which uh, might be called an irritable cough syndrome, mm-hmm. and uh, they range, and usually they're put together in a compound formula. That's what I do in my rooms. But mm-hmm. one of the herbs is a famous European herb. I keep, keep mentioning European herbs, but that's my, yeah. my tradition and my training. But there's a, a remarkable herb called sundew, S-U-N-D-E-W, and yeah. it's a low-dose herb which is usually combined, again, with the well-known herb thyme, T-H-Y-M-E. Those two herbs, uh, touched, if you like, with an extract of licorice, uh, form the basis of a very workable anti-cough remedy. Uh, There used to be a, a product in the marketplace here called Petucin, which was based yeah. simply on sundew and thyme. I still yeah. use the, the herbal formulation, but use it with some licorice. But the two herbs, sundew and thyme, uh, yeah. would be worthwhile using, and obviously in a liquid form, uh, taking yeah. that, uh, hopefully yeah. not for very long, if the quisetin yeah. and the uh, bromelain kick in. There's a starting base um, oh, that's I'd give it a I'd give it a try. It's
3: I'll if, try anything. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: it's a very look, it's a very, very common condition, Lynn. Yes. A very common yes. condition. But uh, yes. all, all that I can say is that in, in my uh, youth it was likely to be a lot worse because Newcastle in those <laughs> days was full of dust and steelworks and, and certainly everything. Wrong, so, wasn't it? Well
0: <laughs> all yeah. the very best, Lynn. And we'll go to sooner from Quarribalong, so um, your question is about a broken arm and some other side bits.
3: Uh, yes. Um, I broke my arm. I was in an above-elbow cast for six weeks. Oh, dear. I had the, I've had the cast off for two weeks and working hard on my rehab. Yes. Um, the swelling has gone down a lot. Good. But um, I broke the two bones, uh, main bones in the arm near the wrist. Yes. And... The issue is, I'm just wondering if there's something I can take that will, like the fingers feel very stiff and swollen and very difficult to sort of use. Yes. So if I can reduce that swelling a bit. I'm using Arnica cream.
1: Yes, that's useful. Look, uh, if I had uh, a particular patient in this uh, room here today who who lives at Quarrelong, she would say, I know the answer to this, (laughs) and it's the simple taking of a substance that used to be extracted, or, or one way of extracting it was the herb called comfrey. Uh, comfrey contains a substance called allantoin, a w l a n t o i n. Now, in other words, allantoin is the uh, active principle of of comfrey. These days. Uh, it's not extracted from the herb. We we don't use comfrey anymore, and I wouldn't recommend comfrey to be used orally by by people anymore. But the allantoin powder, uh, which is which is manufactured pharmaceutically, um, is very effective in dealing with these sort of injury-based conditions, both as speeding up uh, as a reparative agent, the area where there's been a break or trauma, but also uh, this is something that. Uh, We've demonstrated very, very effectively. Interestingly, mainly in the in the Hunter region, I, um, I have a number of patients that see me in my rooms in Setsnock who would vouch for the fact that using Allen Toyn uh, on injuries, uh, particularly where there's residual discomfort, pain, and swelling, uh, has been remarkable. So, all that I would suggest is, regardless of what else you're doing, and you seem to be doing a lot for the for the good of it. Uh, Whip in to Cessnock and get hold of some allantoin.
3: Okay. The only thing is um, I had an internal bleed from uh, staying on anti-inflammatories too long when I broke my ankle, yes. so it won't be an issue for... No. An, no, know,
1: th- this, th- this is not anything like any of that. It's not what you'd call a conventional anti-inflammatory. Far from it. It is, um, it is usually a herb which promotes uh, bone repair and brings with it uh, a side benefit of lessening swelling and some of the other symptoms that go with it. It's taken in a very low dose, not well known. Well, it's well known to me and well known to a lot of my pharmacy colleagues because it's frequently put in topical applications, ointments and things like that. Now, I, I would be um, very uh, confident that it would help. If you have any reservations, always run it past your doctor or your pharmacist.
0: And all the very best with that. And I don't know whether we've got time to give Cheryl's question to do that justice, but Cheryl from Blackhalls Park, it's a question involving arthritis yes. and protolytic enzymes, Cheryl. Yes?
3: Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're available in Australia. This was an American program. Apparently they break down fibrin, which is the main issue with arthritis.
1: Yes. Well, you would find that... Uh the, the use of bromelain, which is an I enzyme know. substance, would likely do exactly the same.
3: Is that the pineapple yes. enzyme? Yes, bromelain. Um, would it also help the breakdown clots? My grandsons had a major clot for eight months with no breakdown whatsoever. Okay.
1: Look, in the, in the literature, one of the uh, cautions about using uh, this enzyme is that it may may um, it may may be associated with the clotting mechanism. I would be reluctant to recommend it without your running it past your doctor. If a patient uh, comes to see me who who has clots, I would not prescribe it. But in your situation, it could be different. Uh, discuss with your GP or or your pharmacist the potential benefit of bromelain and whether or not it would have any ramifications on on the clotting mechanism.
3: Excellent. So
1: it will help with arthritis as well? Oh, yes, very much so. Ah, there you go. There's a line of of
0: activity to follow, action. Thank you, Cheryl, for your call, and that does bring us pretty well to the end of Health Naturally today. Thank you to all our callers, and thank you to Dennis Stewart. Thank you,
2: Jane.